Hello. Thanks for tuning in to the Saturday Night Supper Club podcast. This week, we're hearing from Bob Holloway. He's finishing up our February sermon series, Love Like Jesus, with a message titled, The Blessings of God's Love. Bob is speaking directly out of Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, where we can learn so much from Jesus's ministry about humility, unconditional love, and what it truly means to have spiritual poverty. Enjoy. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these lovely people. Thank you for that wonderful worship. Thank you for attending to us and ministering to us as we minister to you. Uh, What a wonderful, wonderful way of um, creating a community and and a communion with us through worship. We just love you. And we love the way that you love us back in that time. We bless you. God, I pray so much, Lord, for you to allow me to speak your words tonight and, and to express your heart to your people. Help me, Lord, to teach this material in a way that would help them in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you hear me through the speakers? Okay. I can't hear anything. <clears throat> Partially because I'm, I'm deaf in one ear. And the other one doesn't work well. <laughs> um, the The title of my message tonight is the the blessings of God's love because it's a we're still in that month, aren't we? And we're going to ring this thing out until we get all the love out of it. All right. <laughs> and uh, so, I am actually teaching from the book of Matthew tonight. The source of the message is from the written account of Matthew, who, by the way, was a Jewish follower of Jesus. And um, it's what we've come to be known. I'm teaching from the Beatitudes. This is out of the book of Matthew, chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. I'm going to try not to get too teachy. I tend to do that, and I know I bore people because I'm just kind of a teacher, and I think everybody just likes lots of information, but you really don't. I know you do, I know you do, Tim, but not everybody's like you and me. (laughs) So, to be honest, I must admit, I read this passage, and I'm not exaggerating when I say, I must have read this passage a thousand times. Um, This is one of the foundational passages in our recovery program that I lead, and I've been doing this recovery program with two people, and I teach them through it, oh, for nine years. And so over nine years, we've been through this thing for just over and over. So you, after a while, you just read through the words and you're not really listening to what you say. You with me? You just blah, 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 blah. After a while, you're just a talking head and you just don't hear what you're saying. And so I've become so familiar, I've sort of taken it for granted and I've just gone through the motions of reading it. And I think, and I knew what it meant and I've gone on with the program as usual ad nauseum and I just read through it. And I kind of stumble over it lately. So I've always preferred versions of the Bible that translate the passage correctly. There's a right way that it's supposed to read that sounds religious. <laughs> As I'm just confessing, okay? There's, a, there's an authorized version that sounds right. And, and so I always read it, blessed are thee. And when I read this passage and it said, happy are thee, and I, it always bothered me. Happy just didn't sound right. It's supposed to say, blessed are thee, and then it went through the whole list of different blessings. And that sounded right to me. So when it said, happy are these people, I thought, that sounds contemporary and modern and phony and shallow. Okay? And so 
it seemed anyway, something recently changed in me, and I was drawn to this passage with some new interest for some reason. And so before we move on to chapter to Matthew 5, I wanted to read and just back up into Matthew 4 and give you a little con- context, and we'll kind of move into it, okay? So I'm going to read a little bit at the finish of chapter 4, and then we'll kind of transition into chapter 5, okay? So I'm going to read it to you. It starts with uh, verse 23. And I'll give you a little bit, a couple of pointers here for those of you maybe who are new or maybe need to understand a little bit more about the ministry of Jesus, okay? Because there's a few things about the kingdom. This is all about the kingdom of God because that's what Matthew majored in. He was a systematizer. He put everything in systems and put things together in a, in a certain logical order. So it starts off, Jesus ministered from place to place throughout all the province of Galilee. And by ministering, Matthew meant this. He said he taught in the Jewish synagogues, preaching the hope of the kingdom realm and healing every kind of sickness and disease among the people. So he taught and he preached and he healed. Okay? That's what he calls ministry. His fame spread everywhere. And many people who were in pain and suffering with every kind of illness were brought to Jesus for their healing, epileptics and paralytics and those tormented by demonic power. So he also delivered people from demons. By the way, they're still demons. Did you know that? They didn't go away. So he did teaching, preaching, healing, and delivered people of demonic spirits. That was what was called the ministry of Jesus, and it still is. You with me? That's what the church still does. And so the res- this resulted in massive crowds of people following him, including people from Galilee, Jerusalem, the land of Judah, the region of the ten cities known as the Decapolis, and beyond the Jordan River. This leads us into Matthew 5. So that is the transition into where Jesus comes in to Matthew 5. And Matthew begins with these words. You with me? Okay. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he began to teach them. Now, there's just a whole lot right there that, that I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm just going to touch on. Let me just give you a couple of pointers. First of all, he saw the crowds, but he didn't respond to them. He went up on the mountain. After he sat down, now sitting down is a rabbinical model. It means he sat down to teach as a rabbi. And he called his disciples to them to teach them. This is a teaching moment as a rabbi sits with his disciples. It was a discipleship moment with his disciples. You with me? It was, he was beginning to move in a discipleship model as a, as a rabbi to teach. And he opened his mouth, which in itself is a reference to something that was special going on. And he began to teach, which means it was an ongoing progression of teaching models, moments. And he he began to teach them, meaning the disciples, saying to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's where we're going to, I'm going to stop right there. And we're just going to talk about that one verse tonight. And you'll find out that you won't be able to get me to stop. <laughs> I had when Jan- I talked to Janet earlier today. She said, "How are you?" And I said, "I've got ten type pages 
and I don't know where to cut the fat. So, and, and that was on one verse, and I didn't know what to take out because there was so much to talk about. So lucky for you, I was able to do that. <clears throat> the Amplified Bible unpacks the meaning of that one verse really well, and I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll just talk about that. Is that okay? Because I'm hungry, and we're going to go eat, okay? Don't worry, all right? It says this, blessed, and then as the Amplified does, it unpacks that original language and puts it in parentheses and kind of tells you what that means. So it says, blessed, parentheses, spiritually prosperous, happy, to be admired, close parentheses, are the poor in spirit, parentheses, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, parentheses, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. That was a whole lot, wasn't it? So let's just break that down a minute. Let's look that, at that verse a little bit and see if we can answer three questions and then we'll be done, okay? And I'll see if I can just boom, boom, boom. First of all, what does he mean by blessed or blessed? And third question, I'll answer in a minute. And second question is, who are these poor in spirit? So we're going to find out, first of all, what does he mean by blessed or blessed? And who are these poor in spirit people? All right? If we answer those, we just about nailed that one liner. And then the third question we'll get to. Many Bibles actually translate the word blessed as happy. That really bothered me, like I said, and I refuse to read those translations because like what I said a moment ago. But guess what? The word in the original language really does mean happy. The word blessed, which is used in each of these Beatitudes, is a very special word, though, and it's not the English translation for the word happy. The Aramaic and Hebrew meaning of happy means totally something different than our word in the English, happy. So let me talk about that for a minute. Because when we read happy, we think one thing. If you read it in the Aramaic Hebrew, it would mean something else. As often is the case, it doesn't translate word for word. In the Hebrew, Aramaic, the word happy means a state of supreme blessedness and exalted happiness. That's different than we think happy. Am I right? We're talking about a totally different level of happiness, aren't we? When I say, oh, I'm happy, you say, oh, that's nice. When Jesus said happy, he had something totally different in mind, didn't he? Those are strong words. That's not what I understood happy to mean because today it means something totally different. For instance, the English word, root word for happiness is the word H-A-P, which means chance. It means circumstantial or there's a chance, it's circumstance, it's a change, the word comes from change, it's in and out, it's a maybe. So Jesus was real clear when he promised us in John 16, 22, he says, no one will take your joy from you. John 16, 21, 22, no one will take your joy from you. He honestly meant that. See, Christian blessedness is completely untouchable. What he has given to us can't be taken from us. And the Beatitudes speak of that joy. He's speaking of something, this blessedness, this thing that he says is, 
is a, this exalted happiness, this supreme blessedness, is something that we have that can't be touched. And so when he speaks of this kind of joy, this shines through tears, and it's nothing that life or death can take away. You know, life does happen, doesn't it? And in a flash, everything can go away. Your job, your pension, your spouse, your health, even your children. And there goes your happiness in the English. But according to Jesus, what remains can still be joy and blessedness that he calls exalted happiness. We call joy, it's something that's deeper and higher and enduring that is beyond happiness. So we can't be talking about our understanding of happiness. This biblical word that translates exalted happiness and supreme blessedness simply cannot be dependent on change or happenings. The believer has to have his foundation on something more uh, untouchable, something that is, can't be changed by circumstances in this world. And according to Jesus, this condition is something that's not only eternal. It's not something that's reserved for us in heaven. It's not just future tense, pie in the sky, waiting for us when we die. It's something that's right here, right now, that's present tense. Because this statement he says right now, blessed are, is present tense. It's not about some time in eternity. So we've got to get a hold of this because if this blessedness and this joy and this eternal, I mean, this, this exalted happiness is for now and we don't have it, then we've got to figure out how to get it, don't we? Yeah. It's ours and it's now and it's here. Why don't we have it? Does anybody else wonder that same question? <laughs> and I'm with you. I don't got it either. I want to get there with you, and I want to figure out how I can access this bank account. So here we go. A believer has to have his foundation in something more untouchable. If everything I'm counting on is circumstantial and can be taken away from me, then I've got to have my faith in something else that can't be touched on this earth. Right? Let me explain further. Jesus' Aramaic expression was very common. In fact, his expression that he uses there in the New Testament is something that's linked to an expression that was found in the Old Testament. It was very common, and it sounded like this. It sounded like an expression that we see in the Psalms a lot, and it sounded like this. Oh, the blessedness of... And that was a common phrase in the Old Testament. Oh, the blessedness of. And it would sound just like, oh, the blessedness of the people who are spiritually poor. So you see, the Beatitudes are not simple statements. They are exclamations. He's saying, oh, the blessedness of this particular kind of person. In their condition, they have this incredible blessedness. And it would be good for us to know what that person's condition is so we could find ourselves in that condition, wouldn't it? Do this with me. Okay. <laughs> this is important to understand because it means that the Beatitudes are not to be read in a future tense. We can access this condition right now if we can figure out what he meant there. 
because he's teaching his disciples, you guys need to get here. You need to get here right now because things aren't going to be that good for you in the future. I assure you. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> so, hold that thought. I'm going to take you to question number two. We're, we're moving right along toward dinner. Bear with me. So who are these spiritually poor so we can make ourselves one of them? Okay? Because if we become one of them, we become one of these blessed people. What are these strange sounds I'm hearing? <laughs> so let's go back to the Amplified Translation and see if we can look at this description and kind of unpack that a little bit and see what this definition looks like for a spiritually poor person. You want to? Okay, so it says that these people are devoid of spiritual arrogance. That's kind of wordy. But they're missing something called spiritual arrogance. It's absent in their lives. And they are those who regard themselves as insignificant. So even the paraphrased living Bible gets it right, for instance. Let me give you an example. You know what a paraphrased Bible is? In other words, they take something that's actually a translation and they'll put it in their own words. And so the paraphrased Living Bible put it like this. Humble men are very fortunate, he told them, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. So that's a good translation. So humble man is a clue. It goes for women too. Humble, humility is a key word here. So spiritual people, this, this spiritual this person who is spiritually poor, humility is a key factor there. So people who are walking in humility is a clue to being spiritually poor. So humble man, now that's a clue. Humility is not something, by the way, that you can produce in your own life. Have you ever tried to be humble? I can make myself a really good Pharisee by trying to be humble because I become really phony and religious and fake in trying to do that. So I've noticed that when God does that in my life, it, it produces something. He works it through me. When I try to do it, it's exterior and phony and fake. But when he does it, it's something that comes from the inside. It's like the fruit of the Spirit. He works it in me, and it comes out of me, and it's real. Does that make sense? Okay, so if I try to be religious and pious, how does that come off? <laughs> well, I'm trying to. Let me see if I can do this better. If I try really hard to be a religious person, I typically go over the top and become phony. And I try to be better than I really am. And I tend to... Um, become religious and pseudo-phony religious. And by that, I mean I typically become self-righteous. Okay? And so the, the harder I try, the worse that becomes, and it starts to smell. Okay? Until I crash. Now, but when God works that in me, in my life, and He produces that in an interior way through my life, it actually makes me a humble person. And it's not phony, it's real. It's like the fruit of the Spirit. It's something He produces in me. Now, how does God produce something in you that's genuine? He does it through the circumstances of life that crush you. 
when you walk through life with him and he raises you up after a moment of defeat and lifts you up through that and you rise through that, you own it. It's not false and fake. And you lift, he lifts you up through that and your dependence on him in that, it becomes genuine. Now let me give you some more examples here. True humility is often something only God can produce. Let me give you an example. Now when the Greeks tried to define this word poor, they, they pulled it off poorly because they came from a, a worldly perspective. They said, well, poor is when someone has nothing. They've lost everything and they've just been crushed. And, but the Jews said, no, that's not it at all. You're looking at it just from a worldly standpoint. That's a secular view where you, everybody, where you're bankrupt. That's not just poor. That's just when you've lost your stuff. Right? You guys didn't get it at all. The Jews says, man, we've been doing this for millennia. <laughs> we know what poor is because we've lost our stuff for thousands of years. We've lost our stuff plus another thing. Let me tell you what poor means. And they began to tell the Greeks. So in the Psalms, the psalmist described poor. So the, the Jews had about four different layers of describing poor. They went back and said, and not only has this guy lost everything, and not only have we been oppressed and enslaved and politically outraged and lost everything, we've been crushed. And not only that, but there's another thing that makes us spiritually poor. Now let me give you an example. Psalm 34, 6. This poor man, that's the word there, cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. <clears throat> now, this man wasn't just crying boo-hoo or wah-wah. <laughs> he was crying out to the Lord. You see the difference? So it wasn't just a physical weeping. The crying was, help me God. He was crushed, he was enslaved, he was politically oppressed, he had lost everything, but he had done something else. There was a redemptive thing in this in that he had turned to God and cried out to God, I have nothing and you are all I have left. And God said, uh, he came to him and lifted him up. And in doing that, there was something redemptive. Something had changed the man when he cried out to God and God saved him. And the Jews said the Greeks had missed that part because they didn't believe in God. Now, let me give you another example. The same thing happened in the book of Psalms. Psalm 9, Psalm 35, Psalm 68, Psalm 72, Psalm 107, Psalm 32, you name it, it's the same story over and over again five times in Psalm 107. It says, and with five different descriptions of different kinds of people, they absolutely were ruined and crushed and oppressed and dying. And it said they cried out to God and he came to them and saved them. That is the poor person becoming the spiritually poor and that they turned to God and he lifted them up. 
That's the difference between being poor and being spiritually poor. Are you following me at all? Now, there's something different between being bankrupt and being spiritually poor. And that's what he's describing here. In all of these cases, the poor man is the same humble, helpless man who has come to a complete end of himself, who has found himself in abject emptiness, but that's not the end of the story. In this final chapter, he finally surrenders himself into the hands of God, and his hope is in God, and God lifts him up. Now, I think here's the final verse I want to share with you. This is out of Isaiah 57, verse 15. And this is amplified. And I think this captures the true spirit of this humility and a spiritual poverty. This is a perfect picture of what I think I'm trying to say here. It says this, For the high and exalted one, that would be God, he who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, says this. He says, I dwell on the high and holy place. And you would expect that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think God would dwell in a high and holy place? You are Almighty God, after all, and we would expect that. But listen to this. He goes on to say, where else would you expect God to live, by the way? He goes on to say this. But I also live with the contrite. The contrite. And then the parentheses, it says, that's those who are literally crushed and humble in spirit. And why is that? It's in order to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite, that is, those who are overcome with sorrow for their sin and for their broken condition. So God says, not only do I live in this high place, this place of holiness, where it's only becoming that I would live because of who I am, but I've chosen to live in this low place with people who are broken and crushed, who call to me, and I've chosen to go to them to revive them because they call to me. They are the spiritually poor. So, then we come to the third question. Why is this humble man or woman then so blessed? And here's our answer. The man or woman who is poor in spirit is the person who has realized that things mean nothing and that God means everything. That's maturity. That's when we come to an end of ourselves and everything we thought was important has become less important and God has become more. And it's a process. As we grow up, this becomes more and more clear to us. Paul said it this way. In Philippians 4, he was writing this letter to the people he dearly loved in Philippi. He says, I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess, happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me because this church which by the way was living in poverty had sent him money so that he could live they had sent him a love offering now that you um, not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me he was saying you just had no chance of showing it actually I don't have a sense of needing anything personally 
I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I've just, I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little. I've found the recipe for being happy. Whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have and wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. And that guy had finally found the answer. He had arrived and he was mature. He was complete and whole. He had finally come to the place where God was sufficient for him and he, his stuff didn't matter anymore. Boy, I want to be like that someday when I grow up. Don't you? See, that's a mature believer. And I just, today, I want to challenge you with that thought. That the spiritually poor, the people finally realize their need for God and that these other things are not going to ever satisfy them. And God says, you know, you're going to be blessed when you get to that place. It's going to be really good and you'll finally be happy. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your words that just give us hope and life. Thank you that you love us so much that you're that we're just like little kids, toddlers walking, and no matter where we are and how often we fall down, you're always saying, stand up, come to me. You're always proud of us. You're never accusing, you're never judgmental, you're never angry with us. When we try, you're always cheering for us. And even tonight, you're saying, you can do this. You can do this. With this understanding, there's encouragement to you to try again to come to this knowledge and to stand up and move toward the spiritual poverty. I am your answer. I'm your sufficiency, he says. I'm your all in all. And I am the answer to your happiness. Walk this way. Bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As always, thank you so much for listening to the SNSC podcast. Here at Supper Club, we care so much about community. We would love for you to stop by if you're ever in the Castle Rock, Colorado area. We meet every Saturday night and we have fellowship, worship, an amazing message from one of these speakers, and we always share a free meal. For more information, go to SaturdayNightSupperClub.org. Have a great week.